This is Due South on WUNC. I'm Jeff Tabiri. The next segment is a heavy topic, overdose deaths. More specifically, several recent deaths of young people on college campuses. The opioid epidemic has bled over to an abundance of fentanyl, and this topic, unfortunately, sadly, remains a very real issue in our state, region, and country. According to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, at least three students and one recent graduate have died of fentanyl overdoses in the past two years. To help us better understand this story and one of the recent deaths are two journalists, Charlotte Cramon, a Duke University senior from Los Angeles who worked for the Los Angeles Times last summer and now reports for the Ninth Street Journal, and also Michael Hewlett, staff reporter at The Assembly, previously a longtime legal affairs reporter at the Winston-Salem Journal. Welcome to Do South. Thank, Thank you for having us. We're going to first focus on the story of Elizabeth Grace Burton. She was a business major from Charlotte in her first year at UNC Chapel Hill. Last March, following a night with friends, she overdosed. Paramedics responded to a residence hall on Duke University's campus. She was transported to a hospital, and she died there two days later. Elizabeth Grace Burton was only 19 years old. The story, however, did not become public knowledge for seven months. I'd like to begin there. Why was Elizabeth's death seemingly kept a secret, and how did y'all unearth this? So Duke says that they didn't say anything about it because it was a UNC student and they deferred to UNC. UNC said that they didn't say anything about it because they deferred to the family's wishes. So I think the fact that it was a UNC student on Duke's campus definitely complicated things. Um, As for how we unearthed it, um, I, I had heard students talking about it around when it happened, um, and I just was—I I, I wasn't—because it was all—it was all hearsay, I didn't really think that much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I should have thought more of it, for sure. But then several months later, people were talking about it again. It was around September, and people were talking about some of the um, legal re- repercussions that— were starting to happen. And that's when I brought it to my, um, some people who I knew at Duke and they referred me to the assembly to start looking into this on a deeper level. Okay. Okay. Elizabeth's last night out in Durham, March. What can you tell us about who she was with, what she was doing, and at what point it, it got very bad? Yeah. So the, Details before she got to Duke are a little bit blurry, and as um, hearings and trials come up, there may be more revealed. But from what we do know, she was at UNC, and she was supposed to meet up with Patrick Rowland that night. They had been talking on Tinder for a few weeks, and he arrived with a couple of other drivers—with some other people were driving, and they picked up. Um, Elizabeth, who went by Grace, so I'll refer to her as Gracie. Okay, thank but, you. But yeah, they 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 picked up Grace, brought her back to Duke, and it was just um, Patrick Rowland and Grace Burton. They Grace called Fraser. He was the dealer that people had used, pretty common among college students. Bought some cocaine. The barber or Fraser left, and that and that was when Roland started to notice she was a little bit wobbly. So Fraser came back. They carried her body through the dorm stairwell and into Roland's room. Um, the roommate was there, but he was kind of just standing there. And a student down the hall came and um, helped with calling nine one one. And I want to 
I don't want to, but I need to hang on this detail in the story because this struck me as I as mm-hmm. I read Yell's report, which is in the assembly. A Durham man seen on video carrying Burton, the victim, to Roland's dorm room earlier that morning, Cy Frazier, 44 years old, you know, he's the he's the drug dealer, has been charged with cocaine and fentanyl distribution, unlawful use of a communication facility, and possession of a firearm. So, spoiler alert, he, he has been charged here. But I want to pause on this detail and underscore this and make sure that I'm getting it correctly. There's a, there's a young woman. She's had a night out. We'll get to maybe what's what was in her system based on mm-hmm. the autopsy here in a second. But a drug dealer or a, a purported drug dealer comes back, picks her up, and carries her into a dorm room. She's still alive at this point. Like, help help can be reached. There's something that can be done, and they do nothing. Am, am I reading that right? Yes. Why? I, that's a loaded question. I don't expect yeah, you to have yeah. the answer. But, but why? Are they afraid of— why? So that's also something that we're still trying to figure out and that we haven't had a good grasp on because um, Patrick Rowland has not been able to talk for his lawyer's wishes because he hasn't had his sentencing hearing yet. So, yeah, what what happened, what was going through their head at the time? I mean, obviously, this is a really high-stress situation, and I'm sure they weren't completely thinking clearly, but why no one called 911 earlier on is is unclear, and I can only— make inferences about that. Uh, Michael, uh, naloxone, reminder, that's the opioid reversal agent, also referred to as Narcan frequently. Could that have played, could that have had a role that might have led to a different outcome in this story here? So one of the questions has been um, whether uh, Patrick Rowland let authorities know or let EMS know that she had cocaine. Now, the cocaine was supposedly laced with fentanyl. Um, whether my guess, whether or not Patrick Rowland or Grace knew that they were consuming cocaine laced with fentanyl, that's another question we're not sure of. Um, now, one of the people that Charlotte talked to uh, for this story, um, one of the people who actually helped to call 911, said that Patrick relayed to EMS that. Um, that they had taken cocaine. Um, I'm not sure what the protocol is for whether or not EMS should have, based on that information, used Narcan. All we know is that Narcan wasn't used. Michael Hewlett, former Winston-Salem Journal reporter, now a scribe for the Assembly, is here on Due South. So too is Charlotte Cremon. She's a Duke University senior. She's interned with the Los Angeles Times and writes now uh, for the Assembly as well as the Ninth Street Journal. I'm curious if in your reporting, either of you, if it crossed your mind about the benefits, the pros or cons to a university making some sort of announcement in the aftermath. My mind goes to if there is a particularly dangerous batch of fentanyl on the streets, if there is uh, cocaine laced with fentanyl, does the university have a duty to, to like put that out there in the community, not to necessarily cause calamity and raise alarm, but let people know that that something particularly dangerous might be in the in the ecosystem. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you, universities in general, especially Duke and UNC, tend to like to keep these things under wraps for the sake of publicity, for their reputation, and also to keep people's information private, understandably so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they, they could have made some sort of announcement about it, though, without revealing any private information. Charlotte Cremon is here. She's a Duke University senior. Uh, she works for the Ninth Street Journal and also reported this story for the Assembly. 
Also with us in studio is Michael Hewlett. He's a staff reporter at The Assembly. So you all note a lack of transparency here. That's my word, transparency and a lack thereof. Uh, There were some conflicting accounts, rumors somebody referenced here a moment ago. Uh, Tell us what was percolating in the the days and weeks afterward in the absence of kind of some some firm distributed facts. It was kept really, really um, secretive, I guess, for the lack of a better word. Very few people knew about it. I actually spoke to people who lived in Kilgo in the residence hall, and they remembered an ambulance coming at, you know, around 6.30 a.m. And they had no idea why. They had no idea what happened. Most most people didn't know. Um, and the people who did know about it, there were definitely conflicting accounts about, you know, did Roland, like, when, why, why didn't Roland call 911? Did he tell them that they were using cocaine? Which, according to the student who was there and, and saw him tell them, it sounded mm-hmm. like he, he did tell um, EMS personnel. But... There were conflicting accounts going around, but it was among a very small group of people. Gracie's parents. Yeah. Um, what were their wishes? Are they – they lost a child, and that that obviously is the worst thing. Yeah. Are they – how do they feel about the, the reporting and the transparency now this larger discussion? And I think we should know. Please. So uh, no one has been criminally charged in Gracie's death. Okay. There are three people who have been charged. But none of those three have been charged in directly with Gracie's death. Yeah. And so that's what seems to be frustrating the parents the most. But in, in terms of the coverage, obviously, they're absolutely devastated. Um, her mother and her uncle, given the the death of a child and niece. Um, but they they were they were good with the story. They were um, appreciative of us reporting it. Uh, right, right now they're they're really just focused on getting someone charged. There were two autopsies that were done. Uh, please tell me what those found. So the state, the North Carolina Medical Examiner's autopsy, even though it found traces of fentanyl, which they said was the non-recreational kind, um, it ultimately concluded that Grace died of a mix of cocaine and ethanol or alcohol toxicity. Mm-hmm. It didn't diagnose fentanyl as the cause of her death, whereas a private autopsy that the family did and as soon as they were able to get her body showed that she died of a mix of alcohol and cocaine but also fentanyl lethal fentanyl and recreational fentanyl as well as it found ghb in um in her body michael i want to stick with the thread of the families here uh i gather from your reporting they are not pleased with the comprehensiveness of Duke University police? Yes. um, There are two things. Number one, they don't think that there was a thorough investigation by Duke University's campus police. The reason why they hired um, someone to do a private autopsy is that they believe that the state autopsy was botched and that all of those things have led to no one being charged in Gracie's death. I might add that they also hired a private investigator. And what's the update there, if any, if you know? We haven't been able to see that investigation yet. It's with their civil attorneys. I have lost people in my life, people, plural, uh, in the last year and a half, to overdose deaths. Mm -hmm. 
Is there a takeaway here? Is there a lesson to be learned, whether that's for those people listening, whether that's for the university, whether there are multiple lessons to be learned? But as as you reflect back on the story, what are some of the takeaways? I mean, obviously, it's, it's, it's a terrible tragedy. And then can we extrapolate anything larger? I think there are two big things as it relates specifically to this. Um, the obvious one is get Narcan into people's hands. Because we we're, we obviously can't sit here and tell college students to not use drugs at parties. That's that's um, something that I don't think is going to change. Even even if there are some modifications to the culture, I think the ultimate thing is the harm reduction approach and keeping it safe. Um, the other thing in terms of transparency, you know, I got a lot of feedback from her friends after who were very grateful that I wrote it and said, we had no idea what happened to our friend. They told me all these amazing things about her and how much they adored her and said, thank you for finally giving us some information. So um, I think with the transparency piece, even though it's complicated because understandably the family might want some of it private, there there has to be some com- communication for people who are grappling with such personal tragedies, including her friends. We have been discussing the story of Elizabeth Grace Gracie Burton, who died This past March, she was a freshman at UNC Chapel Hill. You've been hearing from Charlotte Cremon, a senior at Duke University, who is also uh, a writer and reported this story for The Assembly. Michael Hewlett has also been here with us in studio. He is a staff reporter at The Assembly. Thank you both for joining Due South. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You're listening to Due South on North Carolina Public Radio. I'm Jeff Tiberi.